I think we can all agree that learning is more fun when you do it with friends, right? So if one of your summer goals is to learn more about the science of reading and how to incorporate it into your classroom, then let me invite you to join our free summer book study. During the month of June, we are gonna be hosting a free book study for teachers just like you, where we are gonna work our way through the book, Shifting the Balance, Six Ways to Bring the Science of Reading into Your Upper Elementary Classroom. And we'd love to have you join us. We're gonna read one chapter a week and inside our book study Facebook group, you're gonna get to participate in things like our weekly Facebook Live, discussion posts, you're gonna get some really awesome freebies and the chance to win some stellar prizes. All of this is going to help you align your instruction with the science of reading next year. It's gonna be fun. And even if you don't think you'll have time to read every single chapter, still consider joining. You're gonna get a lot out of the group even if you don't have time to read the entire text. So I hope to see you this summer where we can all learn alongside each other. You can sign up at stellarteacher.com slash bookstudy. That's all one word, stellarteacher.com slash bookstudy. And I'll see you inside our group. You're listening to episode number 135 of the Stellar Teacher Podcast. Hey there, happy Monday. I am so glad you are tuning in to today's episode because today we are having a first on the podcast. Today is the first time that I am interviewing a member from inside the Stellar Literacy Collective, which is our membership site for upper elementary reading and writing teachers. And one of the things that I love about our membership is getting to know the teachers inside our membership community. We have a private Facebook group and we often do trainings and professional developments. And over the years, with all of the interaction that we've had, I really get to know a lot of our members really well. And I get to know their challenges and their struggles, but I also get to hear about their wins and successes and the things that they are really good at when it comes to teaching their students. And one of our members, Dina Dornfeld, is working in a district that is moving away from the traditional reading workshop model. Now, they still have a lot of the same elements that you would see in a reading workshop classroom. They use mentor text and do whole group lessons and they do small group instruction and they still have independent reading, but the amount of time and the significance that they put on each aspect of their literacy block has really shifted over the years. And one of the things that they are putting a huge focus on is creating intentional student partnerships within their classrooms and giving students daily opportunities to work and practice literacy skills within these structured partnerships. And making this shift has really had a significant impact on her students' engagement, mastery, and overall confidence. And I'm super excited to share this conversation with y'all. If you are a longtime listener of the podcast, then you know that I am a firm believer that there is more than one way for you to be an effective literacy teacher. And I think by listening in on our conversation, you're going to hear how one teacher is effectively setting up and structuring her literacy block to meet the needs of all of our students. So let's jump into the episode. Teaching literacy is tough, but with the right tools, you can be not only good, but great. Amazing. I'm talking off the charts impactful. Hey, I'm Sarah Marie, a literacy specialist with over a decade of experience working as a classroom teacher and school administrator. Tune in each week to this podcast to hear no fluff lesson ideas and strategies that will help you feel confident in your abilities to truly grow your students as readers. 
Are you ready? Let's dig in. Hi, Dina. Welcome to the podcast. I am so excited to have you on today. Hi, Sarah. I am so excited to be here. It was a very nice, unexpected surprise. Thank you. Absolutely. So Dina is one of our members inside the Stellar Literacy Collective, and she is just a wealth of knowledge and information and experiences. She has been teaching literacy for such a long time, and her school is moving away from the reading workshop model, and they're starting to do a lot more structured partner practices in their literacy block. And so we're going to talk about that during our podcast today. But before we jump into that, Dina, can you take a minute to introduce yourself to my audience? Let them know who you are, where you're from, what you teach. Just give us a little bit of a background. Okay, thanks. My name is Dina Dornfeld. I live in Shelby Township, Michigan, which is about 20 miles north of Detroit. I just celebrated my 35th anniversary with my husband, Michael, and I have three adult daughters. One's name is Amy. She's married to an airline pilot. So that's kind of interesting. Do you guys get a discount on travel? (laughs) Never, never. But they have a little boy named Teddy, who's three. I have another daughter, Sarah. Her husband is in the skill trades and she is a building sub. She eventually wants to be a regular classroom teacher, but she is raising a family right now. She has two teenage daughters and an eight-year-old or seven-year-old boy. And then my youngest daughter is Marie. And and it's so funny because Sarah, Marie, and... (laughs) I love that. (laughs) uh, Yeah. Marie is a professional dog trainer, and she is getting married in August to a, a young man who is a police officer slash firefighter for his community. I am in my 23rd year of teaching, and I started when I was a bit older. I stayed at home and raised my kids while I went to college. So when my kids were in school full time, that's when I started to teach. And I taught sixth grade and fifth grade, and I was a literacy consultant in our district. And currently, I've been teaching third grade for 12 years, and I love it. I didn't love it at first. I cried. I said, what am I doing? They don't know how to write. They, you know, it was just going from fifth grade to third grade was a huge change. But I love it now, and I can't imagine myself being in any other classroom. I have my master's degree in reading and language arts, and I have a a specialist degree in administration. And I have just a couple more years before I have, I can retire. And I'm, I know I will work at least two more years, but if I'm feeling up to it, I just will keep doing it. And something that I am trying to plan and do for my community is I would really like to develop a free tutoring service in our community for kids all the way up to adults. Uh, there's a great need for having those reading skills for those kids and tutoring is so expensive. So I would like to just develop that in my retirement. I love it. And I, you have such a full, I mean, a full life. You've got kids, grandkids, but hearing that you've been in the classroom for, you know, over 20 years and that you've, you know, found this love, especially in third grade, but even, even though you're close to retirement, you have these ideas and visions on how you want to continue just being involved in education. So Mm -hmm. I, I just, I love it. I love connecting with teachers that still have that passion for teaching even after so many years. So I'm super excited for us to have this conversation today. Okay, so you've been in the classroom for a while, which means you taught pre-COVID and you've taught post-COVID. And I feel like 
a lot of teachers, you know, have experienced some additional challenges, maybe some extra challenges as a result of just how school has changed since the pandemic. Let's kind of recap the school year a little bit. What has been one of your biggest challenges, you know, as you reflect on this last school year? Well, this school year, my third grade group was the kindergarten group that went out in COVID. Which is wild to think that like those kindergartners are now in third grade. Yes. And they missed four months of school for their kindergarten year. Four months. That is huge in a kindergarten year. And then they went to first grade. And first grade was very chaotic. We had half days. We had, well, we didn't even come to school till January. It was all virtual. And then in January, we divided the kids in half and half of them came in the morning, half came in the afternoon. Wednesdays, we kept them home and did small group because we couldn't do small group. Everything had to be social distance. It was just awful. It was like something... I would never, ever dream that I would ever experience. Yeah. And me, I am not technology literate <laughs> at all. And having to be thrown into it, literally thrown into it, take your computer home. The setup I have in my classroom now is nothing. I had a computer, I had a laptop. Yeah. Now I have all kinds of... I was going to say, you survived it though. You figured it out. So you're so adaptable. <laughs> it was not fun, but I did figure it out. And I actually... As much as I didn't like it, I really had learned a lot. I learned a lot from that experience. So second grade last year was their first year of somewhat back to normal, but they are so behind. And not just academically, but they are so behind in their behaviors, in their maturity levels, in all of it. It's it's just been an eye-opener. And just not being... We were just having a conversation today with my team, they're just having us struggling with being kind to one another and just teaching all those social emotional skills. Yeah, that's hard. And I feel like so many teachers can relate to those challenges. You know, it's like we're, we've been constantly playing catch up since the pandemic, not just in academics, but like you were saying, even in behavior and that just can make, you know, the behavior challenges can make the academics even more challenging because it's hard to get kids who don't have the community or aren't able to focus to actually be engaged in the lessons. But I know even though that that has been a challenge, I'm sure you've had some wins from this last year. So share with us, what is a win that you've had this past year with your students? Well, I am a real big proponent for social emotional learning. And I have been incorporating a lot of that in the classroom. And I am seeing some success with it. I have taken some professional development on Calm Classroom, and we've been doing some practices with that. And when it feels like it's getting really kind of crazy, I have them take a moment or two, and we we breathe, and we calm ourselves down. I've arranged my room with a lot of lamps. I don't do overhead lighting and oh, that's awesome. light music. Just, you know, a calming sense of yeah. the classroom. It's You know, and it really, when I have the overhead lights on, you can tell the difference. They just are so much calmer with the lamps. And something that we decided as a team, we noticed that our afternoons were really, really difficult. And so we decided we switched. We, you know, I taught science and my teaching partner taught social studies. And we're just like, okay, we're done. We're just going to self-contain it. And it has been so much better. And we're so much better that we are going to actually start off that way next year. 
That's awesome. I always love it when you can end the year with some reflections on like, this worked so much better and I'm going to start the year in this way. And we've all switched. So, I mean, this was quite a change for us. I love that. And I, I especially love the the impact that you've seen with like focusing on social emotional learning. It's amazing how small things like lamps or music or just the way we set up our classroom can like mm-hmm. impact the whole like feel in our classroom. So excited to hear just even next year how the things that you do with SEL continue to impact your students. So let's jump into kind of, you know, what I want to talk with you about. And I know that you've shared with me in the past that your school is kind of starting to move away from the traditional reading workshop model. And they're putting less focus on small group instruction and more focus on explicit whole group lessons and really this idea of having intentional student partnerships, which I think is really cool. And I'm excited to hear more about. Can you tell us a little bit about why your district has decided to make this change? Well, our district is really focused on the MTSS model of instruction. It's the multi-tiered system of supports. And what it is, is it's like a it's like a triangle and the biggest bang for your buck is 80% of your class. If you are instructing 80% of your class whole group, you're probably going to experience more success. And then 15% of that triangle is your small groups and like 5% is your EL or your special ed that get pulled from your classroom. But I think when COVID happened, and I we were practicing MTSS before COVID, and we were starting to get professional development, just getting a base knowledge of it because that was a new, you know, term in education. We get so many new terms all the time, but that was a new term, and it was really hard. You know, some of us think of it as RTI. That is something that some teachers know. RTI is a part of that. But that 80%, our our district doesn't want us not to do small groups, you know, but they really want you to focus your instruction on hitting that 80% of your class. And then doing small groups, I do two small groups daily, I went from doing four a day, and my whole group instruction was like short, Mm -hmm. where I got to take that 20 minutes for each group, that's an additional 40 minutes that I could add on to my whole group instruction. And I can break my whole group instruction up into like many parts. And that's where my AB partnerships come in. And that was a professional development that we received for our English language learners. And the strategies that they use in English language learners are beneficial to all students. So We looked at that MTSS model of whole group and how could we make that even, you know, better. And because there was so much, so many strategies and skills from the EL professional development, we decided to pick two that we could really work with. And it was the AB partners where we match a high leveled instruction student with mid low level and then mid-high level with our lowest level. So it's, you know, so it's not such a gap in the students, you know, abilities. And I formed those groups by analyzing their NWEA data that we do, our, our, our independent reading assessments that we do, our dibbles, our spelling inventories. We look at all of that. We establish our routines. And I don't really get the partners going until like mid-October. 
October. But that I can start matching the personalities with their abilities. And it really, it really has been so beneficial. And those partners stay together and it's baby steps. We do a lot of practice before they get good. But then we include sentence stems for them to use as a way to engage in their discussions or a way to answer written responses. So it has been very a very good practice for us. I love that. And I, I, I love this idea that, you know, we're thinking it's kind of like where we know that small group instruction can be an effective way to reach our students. But it's almost like, wait a minute, like, let's put our focus on making sure that the majority of our students are understanding our whole group lessons, because then we don't necessarily have the need to put every single student in a small group. And so it's really this idea that like, let's, you know, maximize our whole group time, and then we have less of a need for these small group lessons. Can you tell me just a little bit about, you know, what is it like to have this sort of like shift? I know, you know, schools go through shifts all the time, whether it is with a curriculum shift or a structure shift or a new program. And so, you know, what was it like for you as a teacher to sort of change the structure and how you approach teaching literacy? Well, my actual reading block time did not change a whole lot. It's just, it was tweaked when it came to the whole group and the small group lessons. And actually, it was like so much easier, to be honest. I, you know, I, you think, oh my gosh, you're trying to find an easy way out, but it wasn't like that. It was, it was like I could do 12 small groups in 15 minutes. You know, I could go and meet with each one of those partnerships. Yeah. That's kind of like a small group. Yep. Absolutely. And you can really address misconceptions and, you know, see if they're on task, see if they're understanding what the task is. But I really didn't like change my whole routine. I just was able to uh, extend my whole group lesson. And then my small group lessons, I could make them a tad bit longer. And I could spend more time with the ones that really needed it. And I don't I'm not really good with all of the making centers and stuff like that. That was a real challenge for me. And I felt like if the kids had to do it, I had to correct it type of Mm -hmm. thing. So, and that's on me. I know a lot of teachers don't do that, but I felt that I've always felt that way. So we use a lot of technology and that is kind of more my independent work time. The kids are doing some sort of technology e-spark or they're doing their word study practice. and. That's basically all they have in that 20-minute time to 30-minute time period that they can get done. And then my second small group time, the kids are reading independently for 30. My my kids come in after lunch. They know. They don't even talk. They come in. They sit down. They grab their silent reading book. They love it. They love reading. And it wasn't like that in the beginning. It took like a half a year to get them there. But they love it. And I can meet with a group at that time. And then I meet individually to check fluency. So I really haven't changed a lot. I've just been able to spend more time doing things that I think are more important. And I think that's such an important reminder because, you know, things are, you've been in education long enough. Things are constantly changing and shifting and there's new programs that come in. And I think anytime that teachers get the news that it's like, hey, there's a new program or here's a new you know, initiative or new whatever it is, it can feel overwhelming and scary to teachers like, oh my gosh, I have to completely change everything. But I think in most cases, we you don't have to change everything. It's you're making the, sh- the small shifts or the small tweaks, or you're putting emphasis on something else. And hearing you talk through just your literacy block, you know, it sounds like you're still doing 
all of the all of the things that we know are effective in terms of instruction, mm-hmm. the whole group and the small group and the literacy centers and the independent practice, you're just reallocating the amount of time that you spend mm-hmm. on each of and those. the resources. I don't do a lot of paper pencil activities yeah. like I used to do five, six years ago. Yeah. It's more technology that addresses their needs, their individual needs. It's adaptive and they don't need me helping them out with that. And they're, and then their word study is they're in a group based on their spelling inventory. So they're working on work that they can do independently. So yeah, that's awesome. So can you walk us through kind of like time allocation? So like, what does your reading or your literacy block look like in terms of how much time do you spend on the various parts? My district is blessed with having a lot of autonomy in their teaching. I mean, we are provided resources. We're kind of expected to use them, but like it's there, a lot of them are beneficial for newer teachers. But for someone who has been teaching nearly 25 years, I don't need a cookie cutter scripted lesson. You know, I, I, I'm fine. I know the standards. I try to teach more standard based, mm-hmm. but I have about 120 minutes that I can allocate. That's awesome. Cause I know so many teachers have like 60, 75 minutes. So the fact that you guys have two hours is incredible. We're able to get our math and our, and we do science and social studies every other day. So we get everything in, but my whole group reading lesson is usually where I start my instruction is with my whole group. And it's about 30 minutes and that's where I include my AB partnerships. And then I do my first rotation after that, where I meet with one small group and my other students are doing technology. We do eSpark reading and they do their word study practice. So they have 30 minutes whole group, 30 minutes rotation. And then I go into my writing lesson. Sometimes my rotation, my small group will be with the writing group too. So it's not always reading groups. Most of the time it's reading, but I do draw in my writing small groups at that time too. And we just spend 20 to 30 minutes writing every day. That's in the morning. And in the afternoon, right after lunch, I do my second rotation, which is 30 minutes I meet with a small group and I meet with individual students for fluency checks but then my, while I'm doing that, my students are doing their independent reading time. Everybody is reading at the same time. So there's not a lot of distractions, yeah. you know, and I make sure I don't pull the same group all the time during that time because I want everyone reading at that time. So I try to mix up in that, in that time too, I have several of my kids pulled for their EL services. So if I they're pulled for their EL services, I try to get that group of kids in the morning rotation. And then on Mondays and Tuesdays, I meet with my small groups for word study to get the groups to introduce the spelling pattern or word pattern. And then they have independent work for the rest of the week to do with that. So that's basically my literacy block. I love it. And it, I mean, it's so simple. Like I said earlier, you know, you're really simplifying the way that you're teaching and focusing on the important aspects. You've got your whole group lesson. And then you've got your small group with a rotation where you can incorporate some of those other activities. I think that's one of the hard things for teachers is like, there's so many things to incorporate. There's word study, there's fluency, you know, comprehension, all of those things. But as you say, they, they still have that rotation while you're pulling a small group to where you can easily incorporate, you know, these extra activities that they need to get practice in without having to take away from, you know, additional whole group time or having to do a huge complex center rotation. So 
I love just hearing what your literacy block sounds like. And it sounds like you guys have just like a great allocation for the amount of time that you're using. Mm-hmm. You had mentioned a little bit earlier that AB partners is a big focus for your school and that the students work together for long periods of time. How does this partnership, you know, if you've got students that are paired up and they're working together for months at a time, how does this partnership impact your students? Have you noticed a difference in, you know, your students' engagement and their mastery and their confidence? What does the partnership, you know, what does that look like for students? Well, first of all, when we develop our partnerships, like I said, I spend a lot of time looking at the data that I get at the beginning of the year. And then we switch the AB partners mid-year too when I relook at their data and their personalities. So we try to do a very, we do some switching, tweaking when we first start making them. Of course, you have to. I'm sure it's like a seating arrangement where it's like you don't get it right necessarily right away and you have to, you know, move a few kids around in order to get it to work. You would never realize that two kids work terribly together or two kids, you know, they're too talkative together and you would not put those two together thinking that they would be, but they are. So you do have to do some tweaking. But once you get it and you practice the routines, it is so easy. They know what to do. So it's always based on, like, if I have a whole group lesson as they were filling out a graphic organizer that day and we're talking and I'm modeling it in the beginning during my lesson, I usually don't give them the the graphic organizer until I'm done because I want all eyes on me. I don't want them starting to fill it out. And, you know, so they're all eyes on me and... The kids are amazed. They think I have eyes at the back of my head. And, you know, they just, you know, I, I, I tell them I've been teaching so long. I know when they're not on task. But I do the modeling for them. And then I hand out and they just get to work because they know what they need to do. And at that time, while they're working, I'm roaming the room, talking to the kids, asking them their, um, t- asking them about their thinking and how they can improve on something. Or are you sure you want to write this down? Or, you know, all those things that we ask kids when we're working with them. And I can just knowing that I have a higher student with one, it just, they build confidence in themselves, even the ones that struggle, develop a sense of confidence. And they're as eager when they get comfortable with those partnerships, they're as eager to talk as the higher level student, the confidence level, it just builds and it's, and it's nice to see. That's awesome. And I I think you're right. You know, it's like one of those things where it's like when students really develop that trust and familiarity with another student, they become so much more comfortable. Whereas I think sometimes students can be reluctant to share in a whole group if they don't feel like they have the right answer or they don't feel like they're particularly strong in a subject. But when you're only sharing with your partner that you've worked with for months, like it's so much easier to take that risk and try something new. I, when I was in the classroom, I loved doing partnerships and Mm -hmm. I never had students do partners for long periods of time. I kind of wish that I would have tested that out, but we were constantly working in partners. And one of the things that I always had my students do is if it was, you know, a partnership completing one graphic organizer or completing one response, they would have one piece of paper that both, you know, one piece of paper and one pencil, but both students were responsible for contributing to that. And just sort of creating that forced collaboration made such a difference for their communication, their independence, their confidence. So I love hearing that this has had such a positive impact on your students. Can you share some of the specific activities that your students do in their partnerships? Because you said that this is something that usually happens during your whole group instructional time. So what are some of those specific things that your partnerships will do? 
Well, for instance, today we had a science reading passage that I had the partners do, and they read together the passage. I always make them read it twice. They tally mark so I know that they have read it twice, and I walk around and before they can, because I do what is called, uh, I call it Oreo reading. You know, it's the first Oreo read. At the beginning of the year, I give the kids Oreo cookies and they eat one real <laughs> fast and they have to just quickly tell me about the Oreo. And that's just getting the gist of the story. And then we eat an Oreo cookie a second time and they have to eat it really slow with their eyes closed and think about all the senses. And we do that every year at the beginning of the year. So whenever I refer to any activity. I talk about a first Oreo read or a second Oreo read. What do we do for a first Oreo read? It's getting the gist of the story. What is a second Oreo read? We read for deeper meaning. I love that analogy. So like today they were reading and then they have to highlight and they're working together to do race strategy to answer the question. So we're practicing, you know, still they're in third grade. They still struggle with it. We've been doing it all year. I tell them, you know, you just have to keep persevering. We have to, we have to keep going. It's May and I know we're done, but we're, we're not. So we do graphic organizers, reading passages. I also do it with their math and their science and their social studies. So it's just not for my literacy. But when we do writing, I have them, you know, check each other's writing and, you know, peer editing maybe a little bit. But it, it just depends on, I have them do it every day. They do something every day with yeah. their partners. But, you know, it's not that I, there are opportunities throughout the, you know, week or stuff that I let them work with other people too. But when I really am, you know, involved in a lesson that I think it's really important that they're like introducing new concepts or whatever, I really want them with their AB partner because they have developed a relationship, a relationship yeah. to share. I love that. And so, I mean, it sounds like, you know, it's, I think one of those things where oftentimes teachers are like, well, what do I have my partners do? Like, I want my students to work in partnerships, but what do I have them do? But they can do anything, you know, anything that you would have students do independently, they can do with a partner. And I think mm -hmm. having an extra person to talk through the process with, to hear their thinking, to collaborate with, that just helps students, you know, with building their confidence. And really, I think it fast tracks them to mastery if they've got somebody else that they can work through, you know, mm -hmm. understanding the content with. So, I love hearing about that. And just, I love that you've made partnerships such a big part of your instructional block this year. Dina, I know you've been in the classroom for such a long time, but you know, you still seem to have so much excitement and passion for teaching and even hearing you talk about things you want to do when you're retired. What are some of the things that you have done over the past few years to help you really just maintain your excitement and passion for teaching, even when the circumstances have been so difficult? You know what? I don't know exactly why I am the way that I am. I'm just a highly motivated person. I love it. I love teaching. And it's so funny because I think back when I first started and I still feel that same sense of urgency and excitement that I did when I was a first year teacher. It, it just hasn't changed for me. I have the personality that goes with the flow really good. I don't get involved in the negativity. I try to avoid it. I'm very flexible in my in my teaching and even in my work outside of the classroom, like in, in committees and stuff like that. I just, it, it, I have such a passion for it. And I have such a, I don't even know what the word is. I just, I, I love it. I just love teaching and I love being, 
I don't always love being around the kids, to be honest with you. They're, they can be draining at times. Yeah. And, <laughs> I think anybody who's been in the classroom knows that. <laughs> yes. But I just, I think it is that it matters to me that we have good teachers in the classroom. It matters to me that our kids today are successful when they graduate high school. And when the COVID thing happened, I really got in a, not dark, but you know, it was very difficult time. And I just, I'm like, nothing is going to change the way that I feel and think except for me. And I really developed that, that attitude of positive thinking and compassion and just positive affirmations every day, every day I start my day with this program that I, not, it's not a program, but I read a book several years ago called The Miracle Morning. And I don't know how it was introduced to me because it was like three years ago, but you know, I had it on my bookshelf like in October and this was before COVID happened, like the October and COVID happened in March. And I had it and I was going to do it. I was going to do it. And, you know, we were going to do a group of us girls. We're going to do a book club with it. And then we just never got to it. And the COVID happened. Well, then when during that really a month or so of really being sad and feeling sorry for myself and all that self-pity, I'm like, I have to pull myself out of this. So I pulled out that book and I'm like, it was just an amazing thing. And, and it really all it, it does is it wants you to reflect on who you are. And you do it through journaling and reading um, like self-help books and or if you're religious, reading things that, you know, that connect to you and affirmations and all of that. And I started doing it every morning. I have been doing it for three years now. Wow, that is some commitment. <laughs> it is because now I can't start my day because I know I'm going to be going into negative situations. I'm going to be going in with challenging students. I We are a really tough Title I school. We have a lot of diversity, a lot of economical diversity, and we have a lot of behavior issues in our building. And But I love it. And I wouldn't want to work anywhere else. But it's draining. So if I don't have that positive affirmation every morning, if I don't put out my positive Facebook post that I do, I've been doing for three years, I don't feel complete. And it's like, like, you know, this, you, you have tons of followers and, you know, I started getting followers and I, and I really, you know, I, people say, don't stop ever doing that. So that gets me going and keeps me going. I love that. And I, I love how you said that nobody else is going to come in and change your circumstances. You have to be the one to make mm-hmm. the change. You know, I think so often we forget that even in the midst of the most negative circumstances, we still have control over how we respond to those mm-hmm. circumstances. So I, I love that you just sort of made that connection and have been living that out in the last couple of years. I would love to know, you know, as we wrap up this interview here, what advice would you give to teachers who are in a district that is making a major shift in the way that they teach reading? Either they've got new curriculum or they're completely changing the structure of their literacy block. What advice would you give them? My advice would be, don't try to do it all. Don't try to do it all because you just can't. You'll become frustrated. You'll, you know, you'll feel inadequate to just pick like I did with the AB partners and the sentence stems. Pick two things or so that you know that you could master. It would be like throwing a whole curriculum at the kids and, you know, 
you know, say just you master it, you have to pick one or two things that will impact you and you can continue to add to them each year. Know your limitations and be okay with that. You know, some people are, you know, can tackle four things, you know, I can't, I only can do two at a time. My brain won't let me do anything more than that and, and not be jealous that they can, you know, it's just, that's just accept who you are. Do you know your limitations? You know, do what you want to do with that new curriculum. Do what works for you. That's what I would say. I, I love that because I think, you know, so often, she, especially during the summertime, teachers get a lot of professional development. They get a lot of new ideas. You know, schools are putting new initiatives in place and it can feel overwhelming to try to have to do all of these new things. And you want to do all of them because they sound so wonderful. Absolutely. And it's like, oh, I, I want to do this and I want to do that. And, and you can't. Yep. And I love that where it's like, start with two. And it, you know that doesn't mean you're only going to do those two things, but start with two, do those two well, then add on to that. So mm-hmm. I love that. Well, Dina, I have just enjoyed getting to know you inside the membership. And I love hearing about all of the successes that you've had with your students. And I'm so grateful that you are willing to come on the podcast today and especially share how your classroom and your school is prioritizing student partnerships and the impact that that is having. So thank you for coming on to the podcast today. This was such a fun conversation to have. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Stellar Teacher Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and are finding value in this podcast, it would mean the world to me if you would follow along and leave a five-star positive review. This helps me spread the word to more and more teachers just like you. And don't forget to join me over on Instagram at the Stellar Teacher Company. You can always find the links and resources from this episode in the show notes at stellarteacher.com. I'll see you back here next week.